Welcome to Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. Over the next hour, you are going to go through a journey of transformation and self-realization. Now, here is Lena. Hello and welcome to Medicine Wisdom. I'm Lena Franklin, modern medicine woman, transpersonal psychotherapist, and founder of the East Institute. Welcome to Medicine Wisdom, a radio talk show that will teach you to journey inward and that journeying inward is your highest calling, that you have the power to heal yourself, that you embody your power and purpose, and that is your medicine, the medicine that flows through you and is the gift that we share with the world. I'm so deeply honored and grateful for our guest today, Ellen Vora. MD, who is a board-certified psychiatrist, acupuncturist, and yoga teacher. She is the author of the best-selling book, The Anatomy of Anxiety. She's a functional medicine approach to mental health and really embodies that wisdom, considering the whole person and addressing imbalance at the root. Dr. Vora received her BA from Yale University and her MD from Columbia University. And as I was sitting with my connection and beautiful relationship with Ellen. I remembered Ellen that we first met um, at the Mind Body Green Conference, revitalized some years back in the beautiful Arizona desert. And we were just talking before the show started and it really was this vortex of interconnection of so many incredible souls and people on this path, bringing different forms of healing, wellness and wisdom to the world. And I just, so honored to have you and so excited to dive into our conversation today. Ah, Lena, it's an honor to be here. I'm also so excited. Beautiful. So I want to begin and just dive right into your journey and your story because I really see the way that you practice psychiatry and the way that you embody your purpose and your work in the world is really revolutionizing the way we look at mental health and that we approach mental health, which is something that's really near and dear to my heart as a psychotherapist. And so for you, what were some of those catalyst moments on your heroic human journey that perhaps guided you into this more holistic and revolutionary way of practicing? Hmm. I'm always trying to think about how is my story potentially helpful for somebody who's listening or suffering or is kind of looking for reason for hope. And I think there's two critical junctures in my path. My path was, of course, a messy trajectory. Right? There's no, this doesn't make sense. But I think about two critical moments that have really shaped how I think about health and mental well being. And one was when I was in my 20s. And I was really out of balance. I had autoimmune markers in my blood work. I was chronically constipated, had polycystic ovary syndrome, acne, joint pains, ocular migraines. I couldn't focus. I was depressed. There was a lot going on. And um, and I, I didn't know better than to just go the conventional route, seek care with my primary care doc and honestly often with my OBGYN because that was the person I was in the habit of seeing. And there was a moment when I was saying, um, you know, I tried to go off the pill because I, I suspected it was making me depressed. 
in retrospect, it absolutely was. And I went off of it, but then for six months, I didn't get my period. And I remember going back to the gynecologist and saying, okay, so what's going on here? What's the problem? What's the solution? And I thought to myself, I am the product of about 500 generations of reproductive success. Why did it stop with me? Something's not quite right here. And she said, oh, you have PCOS, you know, you'll probably need to use IVF when, if and when you want to have a baby down the road. And anyway, we're just going to put you back on the pill and then you'll get your period again. And I did in that moment realize that that was not a root cause solution. I understood without the language for it. I didn't, I wasn't a functional medicine doctor yet, but I didn't have the language, but I sensed that seems like a band-aid because then what if I want to get off the pill again in the future, I'll be right back where I started. That was a critical juncture where I started to understand we're thinking about health in the wrong way. We are doing symptom suppression rather than root cause resolution. And I think the next critical juncture was when I was doing my yoga teacher training in Bali. And that was the one where I really came home to my intuition and was able to drop my self-loathing misogyny and stop performing being rigorous and objective. And um, I was really trying to win in the boys club and I understood what was valued there. And so I was molding myself into those traits, being objective, being rational, being good at math and science and, and being not too emotional or too sensitive and certainly not looking to my intuition as a compass. And it was in Bali that I started to say, actually, I'm a witch. And I'm happy about that. <laughs> so that's really been the journey. And since Bali, it's really been a, a beautiful awakening to the magic in this world and to spirituality. Mm. So beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. And I truly believe, you know, it's it's in our own moments of being broken open and our own spiritual journey, whether, you know, we want to call it spiritual or not, inherently it is, um, where, you know, our clarity and our, our purpose and, and really why our soul is here, that begins to come to the forefront. It's interesting you mentioned Bali because that is a very formative place for me as, you know, when I went to um, guide a retreat, meditation retreat in Bali, I was at the same time going through a whole disintegration of this marriage that you know was beautiful on the outside, but really emotionally bankrupt on the inside. And so um, your share really took me back to that that moment. And I really appreciate you, you know, continuing to be, you know, courageous and willing to share these ways of of healing and and really tuning inward to both, you know, the the, the physical wellness aspect of, of what so many people are attempting to to seek and to embody, but also that spiritual aspect. And the question that's coming through, Ellen, now is, can you speak to that intersection as a doctor, as a psychiatrist, you know, with a foot in the medical space and a foot in the spiritual space? How do you embody that intersection? Hmm. <laughs> it's so fun to. Um, <laughs> it does feel a little bit like it's 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 not what I was trained to do. That we are very squeamish about spirituality 
in conventional medicine and psychiatry, that's not our purview. And so if, at first it felt like I don't belong wading into those waters with my patients. But over time, I realized that I was doing my patients a disservice by not at least opening up that line of inquiry, giving people permission to seek and ask those questions, um, giving them permission to give themselves permission to do that. Mm-hmm. I, um, I think that what I've come to realize, we're really taught that mental health is high tech that it's the stuff of, you know, somebody needs to have a lab coat, they need letters at the end of their name, they need to understand neuroscience and neurotransmitters and brain chemistry, and then they prescribe medication, and that's how you support your mental health. And it's completely bananas. And in many (laughs) ways, mental health is quite low tech, but we're really far from the set of inputs and the conditions that create mental well-being. Spirituality is part of that foundation. You know, I think that how we feed ourselves, how we're sleeping, if we're moving our bodies, do we have connection to community, to nature? This is all part of how we feel well. Are we being of service, making a contribution, have a sense of meaning and purpose? But spirituality is a critical leg of that stool. And by overlooking it, I was leaving my patients, you know, only partially ever feeling whole or thriving. And so... I think the intersection is exactly where we need to be ushering in a new understanding of mental health. Mm, So, right. I agree with that. And it just really lands as you say it in that discussion and in the exploration, Ellen, of of really showing and, and opening the path to allow others to see that, you know, I love your verbiage around high tech and low tech, It's really low tech, right? How do you begin to um, speak to your your patients to open them into that spiritual space again, whether we call it spiritual or not? Um, and what does that what does that look like for you in your practice as you're working with patients who perhaps in the past are used to going to a psychiatrist who's prescribing medication and they're on that medication for you know, an amount of time, who knows how long, years and years, but how does that look in your practice? Oh, so it really varies person to person, but probably the way I approach it initially with a patient is let's say there's some unfolding of events in their life, which I can't help but spin meaning from. It feels like a learning. It feels like it's here for their growth. And so I'll usually frame it as, I don't know about your worldview, but my worldview is I see this as, you know, this is here as a teacher, or this is here as a guide, or this is towards your highest and greatest. And some people really bristle at that. (laughs) And so (laughs) I learned to slow play it. And also I've learned to not be dogmatic about this. Like I, I, I'm not here representing any particular worldview. I just want my patients to feel well and to thrive. So if it's really not their truth to make meaning of the events in their lives, then I'm not here to push that on them. Um, I'm here really to learn from them and the fact that they don't see it that way because that's different from my own perspective. But for many of my patients, some of them it's like, oh, so I can, I can make meaning of this. I can um, find comfort in the synchronicities. This can feel like guidance. This can feel like a f- benevolent force. 
Um, this can feel like divine timing. And I find that that gives people immense amounts of comfort. Um, and some of my patients actually feel like, thank God I can talk about this with you because this mm -hmm. is usually my private experience, but I don't feel like I could talk about this in a medical setting. Um, and that's always a really nice feeling just to give somebody a safe space to fully express themselves. Mm -hmm. That's safe, sacred space and allowing them to be seen right in their experience without imposing right a viewpoint, but it's that holding space for exploration. What a gift. And, you know, the fact that you're practicing in that way, like in my mind, more and more um, doctors and, and practitioners in the medical field um, you know, should be practicing in this way to hold that space for their patients' wholeness, which again, there's so many different access points into healing and transformation, but at the core, I feel that's such a you know, vital piece of it, coming back to wholeness, returning to wholeness. And again, you know, so many people access that journey, the health journey, the spiritual journey through their pain and through their suffering and through the imbalance. So yeah, thank you for, for sharing that. And you mentioned that benevolent force and we can call it so many things, divine energy, God. So that brings us into, you know, the, the conversation around psychedelics and um, how psychedelics in this time, it's really coming to the forefront and there's more and more um, science coming out to share about the efficacy of these medicines, plant medicines in our mental health treatment. And I know, you know, you've been very open in your book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, and through different interviews around your, um, that, that this is something that you also advocate for when it's in alignment with the patient. So can you share more about how, how that lands in your practice, maybe personally, some of your experiences and how they've impacted your own healing? We're at such an incredibly interesting time. We're alive through something really cosmic. And yes. I, I, I mean, I ascribe a lot of personification even to these plants. And I think their timing is impeccable yes. but right now with the pandemic, with AI, with the fact that the mental health field is in crisis and so many people are struggling with depression, anxiety, bipolar, ADHD. And we're maybe beginning to culturally feel a little bit apprehensive around certain aspects of pharma and so here we are and even if it's not apprehension some people are feeling like well this hasn't adequately supported my mental health so we're seeking a new way and psychedelics are such a promising new line of how we approach mental health but it works on the one hand in a way that echoes what we're already doing. It's active in the serotonin receptors and um, with the increase in neuroplasticity and neurogenesis, increased neuroconnectivity. There's so much that rhymes with what we've already been trying to do in mental health. But what makes me most excited is uh, things like the mystical experience hypothesis, where we recognize that the degree to which you have a peak mystical experience in a psychedelic ceremony, that correlates with the antidepressant effect that's we're not talking about antidepressants here that's not the same story as lexapro or zoloft this is fundamentally different and i really like how my colleague will sue describes it he says psychedelics are not just 
um, tools for healing trauma. They are agents for making spirituality palatable to our starving Western world. Mm. Mm. I hope the listeners really took that in because that, it touches me so deeply because this is the interconnectedness, right? These medicines bring us back to the multidimensionality of who we are at our core that we've simply forgotten. And our perceptions can be so clouded through our trauma responses, through our egoic defenses, through the stories and conditioning that we carry. And so we'll sue you know, shares that, that truth so eloquent, eloquently. And I love, thank you for bringing that into the forefront of how these mystical experiences can truly correlate and heal depressive symptoms. And ultimately, you know, what we see so much so often in our work here at the East Institute is that it's possible for that depression to heal that we just, we don't have to be in symptom reduction our whole lives and that this is possible. And I have chills through my entire body, but thank you for bringing that into the forefront. To me, that feels like one of the most important messages I'm here to spread is that we have been taught a system for understanding mental health based on this idea that our mental health issues are the result of a genetic chemical imbalance. And it means it's our destiny. It's a fixed mm-hmm. trait. We're broken, but hey, there's a medication that fixes that. But then if the medication doesn't fix it for you, you feel a sense of despair and you think, okay, I'm, I'm really screwed. And I think it's so important that we get to the truth on this, which is that our mental health is determined by more than our genes. They were only ever a predisposition. It connects to our nutrition, how inflamed we are, how our digestive tract is functioning, our hormones, how we're sleeping, exercising, but also the psycho-spiritual dimensions like our connection to community and nature and a sense of meaning and purpose and being of service. And all of this is to say there's always hope. There's so much that we can do to support our mental health and we're never stuck. There's always a reason to believe that there's a path up that mountain for healing. And, and I think that there's many people right now going through life feeling that this is just who they are and who they always will be. And there's a lot of despair out there. And I want to scream from the rooftops. There's, there's no reason for despair. There's always reason for hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, that perception shift in itself creates an opening for people to move down a path that perhaps they wouldn't have before. And even that, I see that perception shift too, um, seeing so many clients come through. Um, what, what we offer, like our flagship healing program is modalities that, um, that are combined to create a sustained healing you know, trajectory. So it's transpersonal psychology, uh, mindfulness and meditation, um, neuroscience, vibrational sound therapy, shamanic healing, energy medicine, and the plant medicine itself. And so what we've seen is that that hope, even in sharing that there's this different path that does honor both the um, indigenous traditional ancient medicines and also the um, you know modern neuroscience that 
even in the first couple of sessions, the symptom reduction is there because they're believing, right, that there's a different way. So I appreciate you, you know, really speaking to that. And curious, too, as you've sat with so many um, patients and maybe some who have decided to move down the psychedelic healing journey, that road, what what is your perspective around natural like plant medicines like ayahuasca, um, psilocybin, you know, straight from the earth. And then also more, you know, there's the synthetic medicines of ketamine, synthetic psilocybin is as a, a doctor and practitioner psychiatrist, do you have perspective on those various routes that one can take? Yeah. I, I think that there are most promising new line of treatments in mental health and it feels almost to trivialize it, to even call it a treatment, but you know that's the framing of our our system. And I think that I have in my patient panel, it's always a matter of timing and discretion, uh, you know, sort of to be judicious about who and when and which medicine. But I think of myself like a quarterback, matchmaking. When is it the right time for somebody to embark upon a journey with these medications, and then? with or not medications these medicines and then which one and so um it's unlocked immense amounts of transformation and healing for my patients and it's i'll be very medical legally but also just it's my truth is to say i don't think it's always the right path forward i think it's not always indicated sometimes it's contraindicated I think right. a lot about whether somebody's brain is more tending towards chaos or tending towards rigidity. Mm-hmm. And I think shaking up the snow globe as it happens in ceremony is a wonderful agent of healing when there's rigidity, when we're entrenched and stuck in certain patterns. But if things are already in a state of chaos or immense instability, I think it's actually not the right time to shake up the snow globe. Then I'm really right. trying to ground someone for a long time before that might be the right strategy. Um, but I, I do recommend these for my patients and it just depends on the person and what they're coming to it with, what contraindications they might have, what other medications they might be taking that helps me determine what's the right first step. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so true. I mean, it, with, the emergence of this, uh, these medicines, again, more accessibility, more decriminalization, more at the forefront. There's also, I feel, this responsibility from practitioners, facilitators, that you know, there's, there's guidance around what is contraindicated. And there are many people who want to do this work, but perhaps don't have that sturdy, grounded, sacred container yet where they can actually hold that entropy and the chaos that this work can create. And so I think that's a really, I just feel so deeply about this, this point in that that is the responsibility of those who you're either advocating for this deeper healing work or facilitating this work that not everyone's a great candidate and that's just objective truth from my perspective. And it's important, important um, that there's like that risk and harm reduction piece. That's right. I think harm reduction is a focus. Um, 
I also think that integration is really something we need to be talking a lot about. That's what's beautiful about the work that you do and you bring in transpersonal psychotherapy and a very, um, a, a really good structure and container for how do we integrate the work. Because I have a lot of patients who they'll go and they'll have the big experience. And then yeah. what, you know, if they don't right. integrate it, galvanize it, come back to it, we kind of come back to it in therapy in an ongoing way it's lost. And mm -hmm. I think it's in ourselves. It does shift us forever. But to really start to move the needle and how we're showing up on a day to day basis, I find we need to keep coming back to it, we need to remind ourselves of the lessons, because um, they're the lessons we need, because they don't come necessarily all that easily. And, and I think that that's part of why we need to keep coming back to it in integration therapy. Mm -hmm. So important. I mean, that's, non-negotiable um here you know the work that we do but there's there's a lot of medicine work out there that doesn't include um integration and and there are ways i think we can continue to educate people as to how to do their own integration and really embody those tools and, and how to come back to that you know, reprogramming of the default mode network for example um on a day-to-day -day basis because we say all the time you know, the medicine shows us perhaps what we need to know or the insights and helps us heal, but, but the work really is, you know, our responsibility and it's illuminating the power that exists within us versus us giving our power away to this plant or this, you know, this medicine, like just, just heal me, just heal yeah. me, you know, and, and that piece, I want to dive more deeply into that too, because there can be this power dynamic. And a lot of times it's subconscious because of the desperation of people coming in and the level of suffering. So what would you say around that in terms of the empowering piece of working with these medicines as a tool versus giving your power away? Well, we've been taught that, right? That that's how healing happens. That's how spirituality happens. It's always in a construct where um, usually some authority figure, some father figure has the power, has the say, and, the, and, and we hand over our power and that's how things get done. And I think that this, I've always thought about it as perfect medicine, often imperfect facilitation, but it's really there as a teacher and it's kind of a dialogue between us and the divine teacher. Mm -hmm. I think facilitators have a massive sacred role in holding a safe container, but it's really kind of a work that we do one-on-one -on -one with the medicine mm -hmm. and, and, and in, in the container of our own hearts. And so I, I think that the medicine, I think, kind of starts to teach us that lesson that this isn't something that happens top down. Right. And we have a little grassroots learning experience for ourselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, really believe that. You know, the opening of working with it, co-creating with the medicine you know, in those deeper ceremonial or healing spaces. And you're right, I feel the medicine teaches us that in really interesting, symbolic and nuanced ways, sometimes not so nuanced, sometimes very overt ways. <laughs> um, and yeah, yeah, that's that piece I think is important, just that everyone has agent, you know, we all have agency as we're working with the medicine. And that is just incredibly um, important to remember. So, uh, 
we're going to go on a short break. We're going to dive back in with Ellen here shortly. When we come back from a short break, we'll be talking all about psychedelics and how we can continue to utilize these medicines and our own journey of spiritual healing and awakening for collective healing for humanity and the planet. You won't want to miss it. Be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Hosted by modern medicine woman and transpersonal psychotherapist, Lena Franklin, Medicine Wisdom is a radio talk show that will guide you on expansive journeys of transformation, inspiration, and powerful embodiment of your soul's purpose. We all have a medicine, a unique gift that's meant to flow through us and into the world. Wisdom comes when we transform the false aspects of our inner and outer lives in service of embodying the truth and light of our most expansive desires. Your heart-ignited desires are the access points into discovering who you are and why you're here on Earth. Medicine Wisdom, Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. Have a question for Lena or her guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Medicine Wisdom. We're here with the incredible Ellen Vora, psychiatrist and author of the anatomy of anxiety. And so we've been diving into the really deep and potent um, topics of psychedelic medicines and how they can truly play a role in individual and collective healing, especially from standpoint of treating mental health imbalances. And so Ellen, as you really sit in your own journey. And um, I know you've shared some, you shared some in your book about some of your own experiences. How do you see the interconnection of working with individual patients and, and allowing these medicines to work with us on an individual basis? How does that relate to why the heck we're here as the soul and human form on this particular planet? You know, there was um, an episode of your show that I was listening to with somebody named Tom, Lo- was it? 
Tom Blue, Blue Wolf. Wolf. Uh, yes. And that was a magnificent episode. And he brought up something. I'll paraphrase him slightly, but it was basically every time we try to isolate things, what do you know? We discover everything is interconnected. And it really, like, I mean, this is a concept I think about all the time. I'm always thinking about the fact that I was trained in Western medicine to think about the body as separate, discrete organ systems. Um, and yet in Eastern modalities, Chinese medicine, Ayurveda, it's always been appreciated that everything is interconnected. And there's a line in my book, even your, it's your gut and your brain are talking to each other, even if your psychiatrist and your gastroenterologist are not. <laughs> and I feel like this is, you know, one of the fallacies of Western medicine, but it occurred to me when listening to him describe this, that of course, um, this is also how we collectively heal. It's, I think that when I'm working with individual patients, it feels like part of this greater web um, I'm here with a particular mission, a particular contribution to carry out, and every patient who I work with, there's something there for me to learn, and it helps inform and shape my ideas and my perspectives that I can then put out into a book or into some kind of you know talk or whatever it is to spread this message on a wider level. It's just a beautiful web with all these little sparkling intersections, and I think that we really are in this moment. I think the plants have done a really brilliant job of their, their timing is impeccable. And they've really realized that this is the moment when we're poised to be ready for this shift and not too quickly, but just at the right timing. And so I think that, um, I think that this has everything to do with how we heal as a collective and to recognize there is no separate kidney, separate heart, separate lung, that it's, all beautifully connected. Everything impacts everything else. Mm. Oh, yes. It reminds me of the um, quote, I'm going to paraphrase as well, from one of my dear teachers, a Vietnamese Buddhist monk Thich Nhat Hanh, that, you know, the whole cosmos exists within, you know, one cell of our body. And we can actually remember that I don't know. It feels like when we come into our own individual healing, it feels so much more expansive, even though we may be initially just focusing on ourselves, that there's this greater purpose. And I know purpose is very much correlated with um, other you know, embodied emotional energies like awe, like um, motivation, passion, that we can feel this purpose on our own individual healing path and see that web. And so, you know, we do so much work here around working with the ego, which is, you know, <laughs> endlessly fascinating and entertaining. We call the ego, the coyote, the trickster you know, from indigenous uh, cultures called the trickster because it can manifest in all these different really seductive ways, the stories that flow through our minds. So, you know, it, I'm, I'm sensing that when you work with folks, you're seeing that web and then the continuation of that in question form is how do you, how do you hold space for someone to see their individual healing journey as an interconnected web, one that Tom Blue Wolf was talking about? 
I think that there are really obvious ways. And then, you know, with certain patients, it, it's really obvious. And other times it's much more subtle. But I think about how I have a lot of patients who carry a lot of trauma and they don't, they want to heal initially for their own comfort and relief from symptoms. Right. But then often what you discover is that as they heal, they shift into a role that that's sometimes altruistic, um, it's sometimes in service, um, but they basically step into a role where they're healing others. And sometimes that's very explicit and overt. I've had patients become therapists or become health coaches or life coaches or medicine facilitators. Um, and other times it is subtler, but you'll see the way somebody has a shift where maybe they come from a very chaotic family system and they finally find their through line to forgiveness, compassion, understanding. And somehow with that shift, everyone in the family system has a softening. Everyone feels a little bit more seen, a little less misunderstood, and there's just a shift. And I'm not here to say it's all honky-dory and rainbows. Like we don't, it doesn't just work like that. And you said the yeah. ego is endlessly fascinating. It's also endless, you know, it's endless work. <laughs> yes. And so it's, it's not like we snap our fingers and it's solved. But um, I do believe that as we have these shifts, which usually is in the direction toward more compassion, more understanding, more love, and for me, actually magic, like to believe in magic, which sounds so silly, but is in many ways, this guiding principle that brings us comfort and helps us show up with right action because we can trust and we can surrender to what's occurring here. Um, that shift ends up having ramifications in every direction. Yes. So for you, how have your own experiences with plant medicine allowed you to believe in magic, mm -hmm. that truth of magic? It's everything. And I did start to believe in magic. And, you know, I do, I feel it's a, it's the ego actually that makes me have to laugh when I say that, you know, uh -huh. the off chance that someone from my high school tunes in and is like, what is Ellen Bora talking about? <laughs> so the, the ego shows up and laughs at it, but I actually wholeheartedly just feel it and believe it. So I'll put the laughing aside. I think that I started to in Bali, as I mentioned, and there was a woman there that really helped me own my own magic and my own witchiness and intuition. Her name was Daniela. And um, that's where I started to see it. But then a few years later was when I started to work with psychedelics. And it really helped. It corroborated it, but it also lined up timing wise with when I lost my mom, which I think is something we share. Yes. And so that was a crisis of, you know, I, I had this burgeoning worldview that maybe there's divine order, that maybe there's something here I can trust and surrender to. And then of course, to have that massive loss and that grieving process, I felt at the same time, the most skeptical and doubting of my worldview, but also the most urgency of, I need this now more than ever. And so it really put, um, it kind of necessitated that I that I really doubled down on it. And through that, I was able to 
connect to my mom in spirit form. I continue to. And so it gave me the opportunity to really have so many things to point to when I need a reminder, when I lose my faith, when I feel like maybe this is a senseless and cold universe, that's usually when it comes in with some sign or some guidance that helps me not forget that this is real. Mm, Yes. Nothing like those soul contracts that we've had, the ones that we love so dearly to remind us and especially in working with the sacred plants, I too um, really relishing in this connection that we have because, you know, mother loss, of course, everyone has their own experience of it, um, but there's this really, I would say powerful um, opening that that can bring into a further embodiment of that feminine lineage that happens. And I've, I've done a lot of ancestral work and, and soul work with my mom in ceremony and that that's possible to connect with the unseen world and the magic of the energetic multidimensionality of existence and other souls. And um, the remembrance is so helpful. I feel like it gives us the sustenance to continue on because of course, as humans, we're perpetually forgetful. So that's what's coming through is I'm sitting with what you shared. It's okay. Remembering again and again and again of the magic. Yeah. And I like that word sustenance. It sustains us. It nourishes us. And, you know, I think that every painful loss also means that we have an even more vital connection to the spirit world. As you've, again, continued to straddle that line of, of medicine and the scene and the earth plane and also the, the spirit world, what are those primary factors that you see in this work specifically, you know, healing holistically or healing through psychedelic treatments or ceremonies? What are those factors that come through in that form of healing that directly dictate or correlate with someone actually healing or getting better. Talked about the mystical experience effect. I can't remember exactly the term, but that, that that is one of the primary factors. What else, what else are you seeing from your perspective actually facilitates that healing process? Yeah. So many different things. I mean, one relates to Um, what we talked about earlier with the interconnectedness of everything, when we get that opportunity to have a quieter default mode network, it seems to dissolve that narrow sense of the self that we carry. And it's somewhat of an adaptation to get through our lives. Um, But when we dissolve that and we have an opportunity to feel interconnected with everything, um, I mean, that's what the world needs right now is to not see, you know, if I see myself as the digestive tract and my neighbor as the brain, if we were thinking of ourselves as discrete islands and separate, well, it's just fundamental, it's just patently false. And we are interconnected. And I think that sometimes that adaptive need to go through life in the material world with an ego and a sense of separateness, um, it helps us feed ourselves, but it sometimes pits us against our neighbor 
And so to have that dissolve and feel our interconnection creates a pathway for more love, more forgiveness, more compassion, and, and just recognizing how much everything we do and how we show up, how much it matters. And I think that what I see with trauma in particular, it's a little different for everyone. Sometimes, like with ketamine, it's almost like this, because it's a dissociative, there's a cooling down of the stress response that usually mobilizes any time we access traumatic memories. So you can never really move through it. Um, but to cool down that response allows you to, with a cool head, move through it and and kind of rearrange some pieces. There's a colleague of mine named Britt Frank. She has a book called The Science of Stuck. She talks about trauma as brain indigestion, almost like it was too much and the brain couldn't handle it. And it kind of got shoved in places in a disorganized way. And then we carry that clutter. We carry that disarray in our brain. And so when you can come and access it through a psychedelic ceremony, sometimes you can clean out that closet and get things back into a state of organization. MDMA works in almost an even different way Jason Silva had a line about this where it's almost like it creates reverse PTSD. Rather than feeling in a moment of overwhelm that this is a cold and senseless world, it's a feeling of this is a loving world and that we ourselves are loving and compassionate beings. And to just have that empathogenic color or hue over difficult memories, um, it really softens a lot of the hardness around our heart when it comes to the difficult things we've been through. Yes. That I'm having this image of like the dense energy getting pushed out as the light energy is coming through, which I know what is happening. That's part of what's happening very potently on our planet right now, but that also happens in our own bodies. Cause of course, as we've been talking about, we're not separate from and then as we really acknowledge that that separation can happen within us and be disease and manifest as that. And also we're seeing that in the ways that we witness societies and governments and war and conflict in the world. And so I love the way that you described the effect of MDMA, the reverse trauma effect um, and that heart opening, right? Cause that's going back to something that you said, the remembrance of the truth, that this is why we're here. Love is why we're here. And really our healing is to shift from the places of imbalance and fear and separation into that heart opening love. And I enjoyed you know, hearing you speak to the different medicines cause you're right. They can be helpful for different things. So when you sit with MDMA, let's say MDMA, psilocybin and ayahuasca, for example, and ketamine um, as well, what are you seeing in terms of efficacy or um, who may be a better candidate you know, for one versus the other? What comes through as you sit with that? So I know that's a question we get a lot here at East. Yeah. I mean, I think that it's not really so much a who as a, a when. <laughs> and I yes. think that um, it's 
the studies are so encouraging and I love that. And I have so much appreciation for organizations like MAPS and the work being done at Johns Hopkins, UCLA, NYU, Yale, in London, the Imperial College of London, so on and so forth. So much judicious, judicious research that helps us say, hey, this is a lot better than our current standard of care especially with conditions like PTSD. But I think it's also arguably true with depression, though it's still a complicated story. What I see in my practice is that it's not an instant silver bullet. <laughs> it's, no. it's not at all that. But um, you know, if somebody starts working with these medicines and doing the work around it, the integration work around it, the intention setting and preparation for it, then you know we get to a year or two or three later and we look back and we think that was a critical piece of this puzzle of why someone has come arrived at a place of much more wholeness and well-being and so it's not like we snap our fingers we're not just correcting something in someone's brain chemistry but we're we the plants i think are divinely leading somebody on a path where there's growth and there's shifting and there's things getting back into alignment. Mm -hmm. I think about that a lot where um, in the same way that someone might prepare for work with ayahuasca with the dieta and sort of mm -hmm. prepare the body for that, one of my early ayahuasca ceremonies, I got a download from grandmother that was basically, okay, you go heal the bodies. And in a way, I think the work that I do is like a macrocosmic dieta. It's basically recognizing where are we getting vibrationally really dense and really out of balance. And in, in a sense, it's, it's almost blocking us from receiving the healing of this work. And so I'm always identifying, you know, where is it that processed foods or alcohol or our relationship to the phone or even sometimes, and this one's more sensitive and controversial, but even sometimes our relationship to psychiatric medications, that is sometimes creating a vibration and a density that's blocking us from the healing that can come in. Yes. I want to share with you as you were talking, because that feels very true for the work that you share. It's like, I have this you know, image of like vines, like these... Um, plants moving through you like you're a medicine woman in your own right in this you know modern way um but bringing in in such a beautifully integrated way the wisdom of of our ancestors and and of the planet of pachamama that that really like, i really see that moving through you um and I appreciate you sharing the transmission from grandmother ayahuasca. She's so wise and, and helps us to see those parts of ourselves. Perhaps we're not always fully connected with and um, yeah, like that returning to harmony hmm. you know, of the earth and, and moving through that density, you know, in part of my lineages from um, Peru and there's this term called Aini, A-Y-N-I, which means sacred reciprocity. And they talk a lot about when illness is present or imbalance is present, it's where Aini hasn't been fully realized within the person. And I love the way that my teachers from Peru talk about that. So I want, I know we're nearing the end of this delicious episode that I've so enjoyed. I want to, I want to end with a question 
you that I feel is at the core of, of all of this work and this discussion. Why do you feel, why do you think that we're here as these souls in human form? <laughs> I mean, the truth is I don't know, but my thoughtful answer also is I don't know. I recognize, like, you know, I think about it constantly, but in the way we would say with research, data inconclusive, I think I, I literally have not yet accessed that truth. <laughs> and so it's, I feel like I'm still in, um, in a waiting space with that, um, which is a wonderful place to be. And it's a beautiful challenge to be in uncertainty in the gray area because there's such a human tendency and there's, I have such a tendency to want to be like pencils down. I get it. Mm. Yes. <laughs> and, and I'm not there yet. I'm curious to hear what you think. Oh. Love is what I think, you know, again, with the holding so much gray area with spaciousness that, um, that, that love to, to unlearn our way back to our truth of love. But there's something in that that feels true to our, our purpose on this planet. I think you're right. And in a way, part of the work I do with psychedelic medicines is take the things we kind of know are true, but have our own personal felt experience with it so that we get it, we grok it. And I am, I've done a lot of work with these medicines, but I can tell I still have a ways to go before I fully in every cell of my being understand that it's all love but i i sort of know it's the answer to the test but i'm living a take-home test where i'm trying to write that essay <laughs> such a good way to put it so ellen i would love for you to share how our listeners can connect with your incredible work um certainly on instagram i'm at ellenvora md and then my website is ellenvora.com and through there is my newsletter where you can hear about when I'm opening up online groups. Beautiful. Thank you so much. So grateful for you. Really appreciate all that you share with the world. Mina, so much appreciation and gratitude for you. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. And remember to all of those listening, the world needs the gifts only you have. What is your medicine? Stay tuned for next week's episode with Allison Charles, shaman, an author cannot wait to share her medicine with you. Have a beautiful week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Medicine Wisdom with Lena Franklin. We hope today's episode was educational and helpful. Until we talk again next week, have a fabulous week.